rolling and singing our songs. I is that a thing? Is that like an actual song? That gets stuck in my head a lot. Maybe I'm thinking of the um, Star Wars dub because Yoda does sing a little bit. He goes rocket and rocket, and then there's something else, and I can never remember that line. <laughs> I don't. I mean, it has to if we both have it stuck in our head. Maybe our listeners can help us. But I just solved a months-long issue of I swear I swear to God there was an episode of The Simpsons where they weren't allowed to flush their toilets and Lisa made up a song and it was like just don't flush just don't flush and so we were watching The Simpsons last night and it was the seventh season's Treehouse of Horror and it's when all of the big like the big donut guy comes to life Uh and and it was just don't look. I have no um, idea where I got this toilet episode in my head, but that's what happened. There's an alternate universe where it's uh, just don't flush. Just don't flush. And I was living in it. There you go. I'd love to hear if anybody else has that because then I'm not crazy. Is that memory in their brain? Yeah. Um, I should do, or we should do an episode on alternate universes. That's gonna be my next thing. But today we're doing a conspiracy. And I don't know if we mentioned this last time, we're obviously recording via quarantine, social distancing. So sorry if the audio is weird, but we're making it work as best as we can. (laughs) I'm also um, a little more quiet than I usually am because my wonderful husband is a door over working, actual working, actual being work. paid for work, and, uh, and so I'll just be a little subdued. Unless I hear something crazy, and then I'm just gonna scream it out from the top of my lungs. And you're gonna be screaming the whole episode. I uh, do have some creepy corner before we start, though. Uh, let's hear it. It's very hard to find creepy corners these days because really? there's not a lot of action. So. I would like, well, let me, I'll do my creepy corners and then I'm going to add on to the creepy corner. So this actually happened a little bit ago, um, not too long ago. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing it and then it came back up when I was trying to find actual creepy shit. Mm-hmm. This was in back in June. But this pregnant woman was filming her baby bump. And when she watched the footage back, like something pops up at the end of her bed and goes back down. <laughs> and, very, and she was like alone. And she was like at this house, there was a dog and a cat in the house. So it is possible that it's a dog like popping its head up. But Mm-mm. anything, mm. as soon as you said pregnant woman, it's demons. It's demons. It's always yeah, demons. They have a demon baby. Does she have like, that video on the internet? The video's on the internet, and I'll post it. Um, but, like, when you look at, like, the freeze frame of it, like, it doesn't look like a dog's head or a cat's head. There's, like, no ears. And it kind of looks like like a, like a person with, like, their hair parted down the middle like this, and then they're wearing, like, dark sunglasses, and it just whoop, pops up like that, and it goes Every right back down. Every that walks down Main Street. so it's it's in the yeah she didn't notice until like afterwards like not filming so she was like going to put the caption on her video and was like 
what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I would turn on all the lights. I would leave. And... <laughs> <gasps> I would probably leave too, but. I mean, I guess well, if you're like can... you don't want to move that much, but. Yeah. There's demons. Um, oh, it was her. It was her last night in the house, and she didn't have any other things happen, so she was okay to stay there until whoever came back came back. Um. So yeah, there's that. Okay. My creepy, like it. Super creepy. When you watch the video, it's even creepier. <laughs> so apparently, Mariah Carey's estranged sister is um uh claiming that her mom brought her to a satanic cult and watched them perform satanic rituals on children and so uh she's like taking her to court and i don't want to like say what the satanic rituals are do you feel like you want to it's a gold star article Cause it's like babies and children. Ugh. Um, but she, Mariah Carey's sister is a former sex worker who is estranged obviously from Mariah Carey. Cause uh-huh. when you're a pop star, you have to distance yourself, uh, which is very sad because she probably needs some help. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So there's a seven minute video. Her name's Allison. And she said that her mother was involved in a satanic cult and that she allegedly witnessed toddlers and children being basically sacrificed. Um, like there was a satanic altar. People were wearing hoods, long cloaks. Um, and. Not to make light of that situation, but is that how Mariah Carey got her powers? I know. mean. She, I mean that she is a demon. I hear <laughs> <laughs> she's a demon, and her voice is out of this world, not something of this planet. If you play Mariah's Alba backwards, you summon some shit. <laughs> Demons come out of the ground. <laughs> all I want for Christmas is all I want from Satan. <clears throat> That's um, what strikes every year around the pagan holidays. We're figuring it out. We're uncovering the conspiracy right here on Twisted Sensors. We are opening up the biggest can of worms anything this has ever seen. Anything to take down Mariah Carey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, so there's that going on, and um, she'll be representing herself in the court case. I'm Not advised. Yeah. Um. Oh, sweet baby angel. Yeah. So we'll uh, we'll follow that and see what comes out of that. I All would right. love if Mariah got subpoenaed and had to like come to court and be like, "Oh my god, that'd be interesting." I would love that as well. Yeah. Um, well, do you have another creepy corner? It's not necessarily a creepy corner. I wanted to change it up a bit because it's kind of been hard to find some creepy corners. Yeah, and I want to call it Corona Corner. You just talk about the weird-ass, dumb people. Oh, I just deleted the article on accident, but it's right here. That have been doing stuff. Because I found this article, and I was like, it's not creepy, but it's fucking stupid. 
hear it. I'm excited to hear it. So a maskless woman uh, has been filmed in a grocery store uh, for falsely telling grocery store workers that they personally can be sued for um, mandating masks in their store. She is from an organization called the Freedom to Breathe Agency. <laughs> I hate it. Oh my God. Um, so she's claiming in the video, she's claiming that she's from this agency, which says uh, protects people's constitutional rights and make sure civil and federal laws are not broken. And um, she's heard in the video saying you personally, she's handing this to like a worker in the store. You personally need to take this to your manager because you personally can be sued for this. Okay. You're putting yourself into major legal liability. You personally. And the document that she gives this woman is uh, saying that she could go to prison for up to five years and could be fined $10,000 for making people wear masks in the store. Of course, the Freedom to Breathe Agency is not a real thing. It's just like a Facebook group. I, first of all, hate that on a civil level with everything else going on. I hate calling it the Freedom to Breathe Act or whatever. Uh-huh. businesses are private property and they have the right to tell you if yeah. they want to serve you or not yeah. that's what the no shoes no shirt no service shit is <laughs> uh, um, and uh i know the poor girl that this woman's talking to like towards the end of the video she's like I, I just work here i'm just doing what my boss is telling me to do she just sounds so exhausted God bless and, our workers right now. I know. And uh, yeah, people had to like reach out to the Department of Justice to be like, what is this? And they're like, no, we did not issue any kind of letter like this for people to pass out. Yeah. Well, was like, remember <laughs> the one, um, the like Starbucks barista that just got like berated by the customer and then people like go funded the barista and got the barista like $30,000 or something crazy. No, I don't think I did. And then the person that berated the barista went to like news reporters and felt that they were owed some of that money. Like, I just, I don't remember who I was talking to or where I heard it, but somebody said that the United States is the Florida of Earth and that made me so sad. Mm. <laughs> We're just out here doing dumb shit. We're the Florida man in the weird news articles. I guess so. (laughs) Need everyone to get their shit together. (laughs) Agreed. And be a little bit better. All right. Let's get into it because I texted my sister yesterday when I was doing my final edit on my document for this. What was that? 21 pages? Yeah. 21. I was aiming for 15, but we're at 14, which is still a lot. I'm also going to preface this by saying that this all takes place in Russia. So we're going to pronounce as best we can. I've only really mastered the book. We, I'm not in this. This is all on you. I'm I'm scot-free for pronunciations today. There's a pop quiz at the end. See how much you're paying attention. All right. 
at the height of the Cold War, and people might be familiar with this because it's kind of a known thing, but we are getting some details. Uh, at the height of the Cold War, in the dead of winter, a hiking group of 10 students led by Igor Dyatlov set out on a trip in the Ural Mountains, the range which divides uh, Europe and Asia. The skiers were all experienced young sportsmen and women from the Urals Polytechnic Institute of, here's the first hard word, Yekaterinburg, but only one of them would survive the trip. Nine bodies. Thought, for some reason, I thought this was going to, oh, is this the pass? Uh-huh. The Diatov pass? I knew they were getting there. I was like, wait, nobody survived, but then I remembered somebody didn't go. He does. Spoilers. Nine bodies right. were eventually found <laughs> on a remote mountain with horrific, inexplicable injuries. Some were semi-clothed, two had missing eyes, and one's tongue was missing. The Diatlov pass mystery, as it became known, has spawned countless 75-ish conspiracy theories over the past six decades and we're gonna mm. get in to 34 of those conspiracy theories what <laughs> we don't have the time you don't have the time this is a four-part episode um <laughs> In 1959, a group was formed uh, for a skiing expedition across the northern Urals in Sverdvorlovsk Oblast, Soviet Union. I'm going to call that SO because it comes up a lot and I can't pronounce it well. Mm -hmm. um, Igor Dyatlov, a 23-year-old radio engineering student at the UPI, was the leader who assembled a group of nine others for the trip, most of whom were fellow students and peers at the university. Each member of the group was an experienced grade two hiker with ski tour experience and would be receiving grade three certification upon their return. At the time, this was the highest certification available in the Soviet Union and required candidates to traverse 300 kilometers, 190 miles. Uh, the group was designed by Dyatlov's group and was reaching far northern regions of SO in vicinity of upper streams of the Lazia River. The route was approved by the SO City Route Commission of the Committee of Physical Culture and Sport on January 8th, 1959, and confirmed the group of 10 people. The goal of the expedition was to reach Gora Ortenton, a mountain 10 kilometers, or 6.2 miles north of the site of the incident. This route in February was estimated as Category 3, the most difficult route to hike. Why? Why? Why do people like doing these things? I don't understand. I, I know. I guess it's just like, because there's some things that I would do physically. Like, I don't understand how people would jump out of a plane. But, like, I'd go down in, like, a submarine. I guess it's just, like, heights. I don't like anything where you got to go high or it's, like, super physical. It reminds me of, because I just watched, because all the Jurassic Parks are now on Netflix, as you know. Uh-huh. Um, the Lost World, where he's talking to Vince Vaughn. What's the, the guy who hunts the T-Rex? Mm. I can't think of his name. Uh, anyway, but he's like, when the guy uh, went up to Mount Everest, and he's like, why did you go up there to die? And he's like, I didn't. I went up there to live. And you're like, Ugh. Gross. If you say things I, like that, just don't. As I judge you from my couch eating potato chips. <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> um, okay, continue. Right. 
the hiking party consisted of eight men and two women. Igor was the leader and the most experienced athlete in the group. Um, there was also, and I apologize for butchering the rest of these names, Zineda Komagrova, 22, from the same faculty. That was good. That was good. Off to a good start. Thank you. Yuri Doroshenko, 21, who was studying power economics. Alexander Kolevitov, 24, studying nuclear physics. Also, all of these kids, super fucking nerds. Super proud of you, but nerds. Um, Yuri Krinveneshkino. I love the name Yuri. I don't know why. I know. Whenever I hear the name Yuri, I'm like, mm-hmm. that's a good name. Yuri? Name your first word, Yuri. I'm going to be like, are you Russian? No, my mom just liked it. Um, Yuri was 23. Rushdom Solbinden, 23. Nicholas Tybo Brignol was 23. All of them were engineer students. Ludmila Dubinina was 20. And then we have another Yuri Yudin, 22. We're both studying economics. And then there was Simon Zolteryov, a 38-year-old sports instructor who had fought in World War II, and he was the odd man out because he wasn't in school anymore. You got to move, cat. Oh, I hope we caught that oh, audio. I, I heard it. Great. That was Leia. Um, on January 23rd, 1959, the Diatlov group was issued their root book number five by the SO City Committee of Physical Culture and Sport, uh, listing 11 people. Under number 11 was Simon Zolotarov, who previously was certified to go with the group of, under another expedition of similar category. Um, and then the same day they received their root book, the group left on its expedition. Uh, the group arrived by train in Livdell, a town at the center of the northern province of S.O. in the early morning hours of January 25th, 1959. And I'll have a map and stuff posted so you guys can see all these weird places that I'm not pronouncing correctly. <laughs> uh, they took a truck to Vizhai, a small village that was the last inhibited settlement to the north. So this was the last place where they were going to see people before they started their actual uh, hiking trip. And then on January 27th, they began their trek toward Gora Ortonton from Vishai. On January 28th, Yuri Yudin, who suffered from several health ailments, including rheumatism and a congenital heart defect, turned back due to knee and joint pain that made him unable to continue the hike. Also, you already have all these ailments, and you're going to go hiking like that? No, you show off. We get it. Oh, my God. Russians, man. I've walked, like, four miles consecutively in the last three days, and I barely slept last night because my hips hurt so bad. Yeah, my (laughs) hips are killing me. Um, And so they're amazing. And that's flat plane. That's not even... That's... I mean, I did a little hiking on Friday, but... Ugh. Um, so then the remaining group of nine people continued on their trek. Diaries and cameras found around their last campsite made it possible to track the group's route up to the day preceding the incident. Uh, and it's really cool if you go further into researching this, the group actually did do a really great job of, um, 
detailing everything. Like they all had diaries and a lot of them had cameras. There's a lot of really cool photos and journal entries. I don't have time for all of that. So if you want to do we your don't have time for all of this. Own research. Yeah. Hey, we're on page two. Just kidding. We have all the time. There's nothing. All the time. There's nothing but time. Um, on January 31st, the group arrived at the edge of a highland area and began to prepare for climbing. In a wooded valley, they cached surplus food and equipment that would be used for the trip back. The following Smart. day. Right? Until some asshole comes along and they're like, oh, look at all this food I just found. Oh, um, garbage truck. I don't know if you can hear that. I can hear the garbage truck. <sighs> It's trash day. <laughs> At least it's early. Sometimes, like, the timing of the garbage pickup has been so random lately. Sometimes our recycle bin's out there till like, 3.30 in the afternoon. I will say it is weird doing this in the morning because I'm drinking coffee and not a margarita. I know. I have Arizona iced tea, uh, diet green tea with ginseng, and it's literally the best thing I've ever had in my entire life. I can't, I can't live without it. It's like my new Diet Coke. How dare you replace I know. Coke. I know. I'm moving on. I don't even want to but, hear this anymore. It's so good. Following day, February 1st, the hikers started to move through the pass. It seems they planned to get over the pass and make camp for the next night on the opposite side. But because of worsening weather conditions, uh, snowstorms and decreasing visibility, they lost their direction and deviated west up towards the top of Kolatskaya. When they <laughs> realized that, that, that was it, that, I that. nailed it. Uh, <laughs> Are you saying that they got lost in, in a different direction they were supposed to? Is that what you just said? That is what I just said. Why would you? Why would you do that? Did they know that they were lost? No, they obviously didn't mean to go in the wrong direction, but because of the worsening visibility, they got turned around and then they realized they decided to stop and set up camp on the slope of the mountain. Rather mm. than move 1.5 kilometers, which is less than a mile, downhill to a forested area that would have offered some shelter from the bad weather. It's speculated that Dyatlov probably did not want to lose the altitude they had gained, or he decided to practice camping on the mountain slope. Um, and a lot of people give him a lot of shit for that decision. He's dead. How dare they? I know. Um, so after Yuri Yudin left the group, students continued towards their goal, Mount Orton. Um, their, uh, so Mount Orton... A lot of people say that that mountain means don't go there, but then there is, <laughs> but then there is a, um, I want to say they're called the Manzai people that live in those mountains. They're kind of like wilderness people and mm -hmm. they say that that's not what that means. And that's just people trying to make something more spooky than it is. Yeah. Like, like we do. Yes. Um, and then in that area, there used to be a network of prison camps known as Livedell Log, where 30,000 inmates built roads, cut and processed timber, and labored in makeshift factories. The camp had a reputation as one of the most atrocious and violent in the entire gulag system. Yet few so real quick, you know, I'm always supporting the Josh Gates Expedition Unknown show. Uh-huh. 
he did this, I think it was for the season opener that got cut short because of COVID. Mm-hmm. And he does this. He does the entire Pantov Pass. And I mean, they use, um, they use vehicles to get up to a certain point. They go to that first town mm-hmm. that they, or the last town that oh, you go to. They go to this prison. that's like, there's still like walls and stuff. And they find like a boot, which that's like, when you find just like one shoe, it's terrifying. And it's even more terrifying if it's a little baby shoe. You're just like, yeah. why is that there? Why is that in the middle of the road? What's, oh, it um, wasn't a baby shoe. It was a boot, right? You're yeah, saying, yeah. Okay. I'm just saying it's even more terrifying okay. to me okay. when it's a little tiny shoe. Mm-hmm. But um, they, yeah. And so then they do like, uh, like snowmobiles. Then they get to the part and it's like super windy and they like walk out and talk about it. But it's like very interesting. Yeah. Anyway, so like, yeah, I know exactly this little prison you're talking about, and it looked like a shitty place to be. Terrifying. Yeah, and they yeah. said a uh, few people tried to escape because the road or the location was so remote and the climate was so harsh. Yeah. Um, but so Dyatlov's group skied along the nearby Aspaya River before the final ascent. Um, Zendaya wrote in one of her last diary entries that there was sun in the morning and now it's very cold. All day long we'll follow the river. At night, we'll ca- camp on a Manzai trail. I burned my mittens and Yuri's jacket at the campfire. He cursed me a lot. <laughs> oh. I know. Um, Zendaya was once Yuri's girlfriend, but he broke things off with her, and a letter to a friend discovered months later revealed that she was nervous about going on the trip with him. I really don't know how I feel. It's really hard because we are together, and yet we are not together. She had fallen in love with him. This is the most Russian thing. She had followed in love with him during a previous expedition when he chased off a bear with a hammer. (laughs) Yeah, that's super Russian. Find you a man. Um, The student's trip was supposed to take three weeks. Igor had promised to send a message to the sports club in Svedvrolovsk as soon as his group was safely back to their base around the 12th of February. At first, nobody was surprised when they didn't return on time. They had been delayed because of the bad weather, but by February 20th, their families became worried and raised the alarm. The university sent out a search party of student volunteers. Um, Now in his 80s, Mikhail Sharavin was one of them. He was flown by the region by helicopter along with the other volunteers. And they split into two smaller groups and followed some ski tracks, which came to an end at the edge of the forest before climbing up the pass. Uh, when Mikhail Sharavin from the search party eventually stumbled upon the group's tent nearly a month later, it was 300 meters from the top of the mountain. Uh, one tent pole was sticking up above the snow and there was a flashlight resting on top of the canvas, which remarkably still worked when he switched it on. Um, inside the tent, he and another rescuer found a blanket and some rucksacks lined up neatly in a pile of boots in one corner. There is also the root map, official papers, money, and a flask of alcohol. Um, next to that, he spotted a plateful of sallow, which is white pork fat, a Slavic delicacy, and the sort of high-calorie food that hikers take with them into the mountains. Uh, he said it was sliced up as if they were getting ready to have supper or something and didn't have time. Uh, it was then that he noticed that the tent had been slashed open from the inside with a knife. 
Um, maybe they were in a desperate hurry to get out, he thought, uh, but then he came across something even stranger. Just outside the tent, he saw uh, frozen footprints made by eight or nine people who were wearing socks, a single boot, or were barefoot. Uh, the tracks continued for five to 10 meters, and then they disappeared. Sharvin uh, and the group were dumbfounded. They wondered what on earth could have happened <clears throat> to make the students leave their shelter semi-clad when it was at least negative 20 degrees Celsius outside. They immediately skied downhill to tell the others in the search party what they had found. Uh, and then later, when they sat around the campfire for their evening meal, Sharvin produced the flask of vodka that he found in the tent and proposed a toast to the health of the Dyatlov group. We shared it out between us. There was 11 of us, including the guides, he recalls. And when we were about to drink it, one guy turned to me and said, best not to drink to their health, but to their eternal peace. Mm. Um, the following day on February 27th, uh, the rescue group's worst fears were confirmed when he and some others in the, or the rescue party found the first of the bodies. We approached a cedar tree and there were 20 meters away, we saw a brown spot. It was towards the right of the trunk. And when we got closer, we saw two corpses lying there. The hands and feet were reddish brown. One of the two bodies was Yuri Doroshenko. Next to him was Yuri uh, Krivoneshko. Oh, sorry. We, uh, he loved playing the mandolin and telling jokes but he'd bitten Aww. off a piece of his own knuckle. Both men were stripped down to their underwear. Closer to the tree, the search party saw the remains of a campfire and thought it looked as if somebody had climbed the tree to break off lower branches to use as kindling. Igor was found next. He was dressed but shoeless and lying face down in the snow, hugging a birch branch. Zendaya uh, lay nearby from the position of her body. It seemed as if she had been desperately trying to scramble back hill up towards the tent. There is a long, bright red bruise on the right side of her torso, which looked as if it was made by a baton. Um, it was stated that the skiers had died of hypothermia and frostbite, but some of the other bodies had serious injuries that had nothing to do with them being too cold. Um, Russian Sloben, a long-distance runner and the shyest of the group, was found on the 5th of March with a fractured skull. His body was better dressed than the others found so far. He wore a long-sleeved undershirt and a sweater, two pairs of trousers, four pairs of socks, and one felt boot on his right foot. His watch had stopped at 8.45 a.m. Uh, the mystery deepened when the remaining four bodies were found in a ravine on May 4th, nearly three months later, once the snow had melted. Uh, Nikolai Typo Brignol, the son of a French communist repressed by Stalin, had a fractured skull. Alexander Kolotov, the nuclear physicist um, who had worked at a secret institute in Moscow, had a, a wound behind his ear and an oddly twisted neck. Ludmila was, Mary, uh, was wearing Krinchenko's burned, torn trousers, and her left foot and shin were wrapped in a torn jacket. Um, Simon, the oldest member of the group, had suffered multiple broken ribs. He had an open wound on the right side of the skull, which exposed the bone. Um, both he and Ludmila both had empty eye sockets, and Ludmila's tongue was missing. 
Um, so the official causes of death as they currently stand, Igor died at 23 of hypothermia. Yuri died at 21 of, hypothermi of hypothermia. Ludmila, 20, died of internal bleeding from severe chest trauma. Um, Yuri, 23, died of hypothermia. Alexander, 24, hypothermia. Uh, Zendaya, 22, hypothermia. Uh, Rustem, 23, hypothermia. Nikolai, 23, fatal skull injury. And Simon, 38, severe chest trauma. Yuri, 21, was the man who left on January 28th. He eventually died April 27, 2013, at the age of 75. I can't imagine that guy's response to, like, leave a trip and then the whole thing dies. Well, it's like, it's like people that, um, like, didn't get on the Titanic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, whoo. Yeah. All right. Know, final, des final destination, that's uh, coming for you. Yeah. If you don't feel like you're supposed to get on the plane, don't get on the plane. Um, so the legal inquest started immediately after the first five bodies were found. Medical examination found no injuries that might have led to their deaths. And it was eventually concluded that they had all died of hypothermia. Uh, Slobodin had the small crack in his skull, but it was not thought to be a fatal wound. An examination of the four bodies that were found in May shifted the narrative as to what had occurred during the incident. Three of the skiers had fatal injuries, um, and the uh, examiner said that the force required to cause so much damage would have been extremely high, comparable to the force of a car crash. Notably, the bodies had no external wounds associated with the bone fractures as if they had been subjected to a high level of pressure. All four bodies found at the bottom of the creek in a running stream of water had soft tissue damage to their head and face. Um, and let's see what else I haven't said. Alexander Kolevtov was also missing his eyebrows. That's um, a weird thing to be missing. Right? <laughs> That's the whole thing about, like, there's a lot that you could explain it as, like, a natural, and we'll get into, like, the major conspiracies, but there are, like, little bits of stuff that are just weird. Yeah, like, I take up the, like, maybe, like, the, like, the soft tissue stuff, like, to animals coming yeah, in. Yeah, and they say that, too, like, they're, like, she probably lost her tongue due to animals, and then there's, like, but there's no, like, damage around her mouth they literally an animal just took her tongue yeah um so the forensic expert performing the post-mortem uh, examinations judged that these injuries happened post-mortem due to the location of the bodies in the stream there was initial speculation that the indigenous manzai people who were the reindeer herders local to that area had attacked and murdered the group for encroaching on their lands Several Monzai were interrogated, but the investigation indicated that the nature of their deaths did not support this hypothesis. Only the hikers' footprints were visible, and they showed no sign of hand-to-hand -hand struggle. And also, I think I, I read once that the Monzai people are, like, very peaceful people, and there's, like, no way that they would do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they mostly keep to themselves. And I have a little bit about a guy that uh, was part of that tribe. Um, 
Although the temperature was very low around negative uh, 25 to negative 30 degrees Celsius, which is negative 13 to negative 22 degrees Fahrenheit, you die in like minutes in that weather. Um, with a storm blowing, the dead were only partially dressed. Some of them only had- Storm one... blowing? The storm was blowing? Yeah, it was blowing. It was blowing. <laughs> um, some of them, I love when Jessica corrects me on words. <laughs> Uh, some of them I have to get it where I can. Okay. <laughs> uh, some of them only had shoes or one shoe, while others had socks or were barefoot. Um, some were found wrapped in snips of ripped clothing that seemed to have been cut from those who were already dead. So here are kind of the facts that they have. Um, six of the group members died of hypothermia and three of fatal injuries. There was no indication of other people nearby on the mountain apart from the nine travelers. The tent had been ripped open from within. The victims had died six to eight hours after their last meal. Traces from the camp showed that all members of the group left the campsite on their own accord on foot. High levels of radiation were found on some of the victims' clothing. That's the weird part. That's the weird one. Yeah. To dispel the theory of an attack by the indigenous Manzai people, um, the examiner stated that the fatal injuries of the three bodies could not have been caused by another human being because the forces of the blows had been too strong and no soft tissue had been damaged. Um, release documents contained no information about the condition of the skier's internal organs. There were obviously no survivors. Mm -hmm. um, at the time of the verdict, uh, the kind of common... Agreel was that the hikers died because of a compelling natural force. The inquest officially ceased on, in May of 1959 as a result of the absence of a guilty party. The files were sent to a secret archive. Um, in 1997, it was revealed that the negative um, from one of the hikers' cameras were kept in the private archive of one of their investigators, Lev Ivanov, and the film materials were donated by his daughter to the Dyatlov Foundation. The diaries of the hiking party fell into Russia's public domain in 2009. So yeah, you can literally go on the internet and find all of their diaries. Um, on April 12, 2018, the remains of Zolotayr were exhumed upon the initiative of journalists of the Russian tabloid newspaper I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. Uh, contradictory results were obtained, and one of the experts stated that the character of the injuries resembled a person knocked down by a car, and the DNA analysis did not reveal any similarity to the DNA of his living relatives. So they did a DNA thing, and it wasn't. There was zero matching to his family. In addition, it turned mm. out that the name Simon Zolotarev was not on the list of buried at the cemetery where all of the hikers were buried. Nevertheless, the reconstruction of the face from the exhumed skull agreed with the post-war photographs of Simon, although journalists expressed suspicion that another person was hiding under Simon's name after World War II. Mm. <clears throat> In February... I have never heard that with all this 14 pages of notes <laughs> in february 2019 russian authorities reopened the investigation into the incident although only three possible explanations were being considered an avalanche 
a snow slab avalanche or a hurricane the possibility of a crime has been discounted aliens come on aliens man where the radiation comes from aliens um so a 12 year old yuri kunstevich who later became the head of uh a Dyatlov Foundation attended five of the hikers' funerals. He recalled that their skin had a deep brown tan. Another group of hikers, about 31 miles south of the incident, reported that they saw strange orange spheres in the sky to the north on the night of the incident, roundabout where the Dyatlov group was. Similar spheres were observed in Ivdel and adjacent areas continually during the period from February to March 1959 by various independent witnesses and according to the Meteorology Service and the military. However, these sightings were not noted in the initial investigation in 1959 and these various independent witnesses only came forward years later. Uh, mm. So now we'll start getting into theories. Um, and Natalie Gushchin uh, summarized in his research book, The Price of State Secrets is Nine Lives, which has been added to my reading list. Ooh, that's cool. That's like a cool statement. Right? Um, some researchers criticized uh, the work for its concentration on the speculative theory of a Soviet secret weapon experiment, but its publication led to public discussion stimulated by interest in the paranormal. Many of those who had remained silent for 30 years reported new facts about the accident. Um, one of them was the former police officer Lev Ivanov, who led the official inquest in 1959. In 1990, he published an article that included his admission that the investigation team had no rational explanation for the incident. He also stated that after his team reported that they had seen flying spheres, he then received direct orders from high-ranking officials to dismiss the claim. Aliens. Cover-ups. <laughs> Bastards. Just, just tell us what's out there. That's all we want to know. In 2000, a regional... <laughs> There's a comedian who's like, if you don't believe in aliens, you're just sad because you can't come to terms that the rest of the universe doesn't want to hang out with you. <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> a regional television company produced the documentary film The Mystery of Dyatlov Pass with the help of a film crew. Um, Anna Metveyeva, well, there's a lot of these and whys in there, <laughs> published a docudrama novella of the same name. Large part of the book includes broad questions from the official case, diaries of victims, interviews with searchers, and other documentaries collected by the filmmaker. Uh, the narrative line of the book details the everyday life and thoughts of a modern woman, who's just an alter ego of the author herself, who attempts to solve the case. Despite its fictional narrative, her book remains the largest source of documentary materials ever made available to the public regarding the incident. Also, the pages of the case files and other documentaries are gradually being published on a web form for enthusiastic researchers. Oh, that's us. That's us. We're um, the enthusiastic researchers. They're talking about us and our listeners. Oh, I don't know what that is. 
I'm just trying to chime in every once in a while. We're watching each other on Zoom, and my sister's lips occasionally do what I like to call the Kermit mouth. <laughs> I'm trying to watch myself too. And then One day also. we'll do a, a video podcast, and you guys see it, but they crack me up every time. <laughs> um, all right. So, uh, the explanations. Number one that the Soviets like to say was that it was an avalanche. Um, on July 11, 2000... Boring. I know. Uh, July 11, 2020, so pretty recent, Audrey Kurikov, deputy head of the Urals Federal District Decorative of the Prosecutor General's Office. That's a big title. Yeah, that's a mouthful. Um... <laughs> announced an avalanche to be the official cause of death for the Dyatlov group in 1959. American skeptic author Benjamin Radford suggests an avalanche is more plausible. He quotes uh, that the group woke up in a panic um, and cut their way out of the tent either because an avalanche had covered the entrance to their tent or because they were scared that an avalanche was imminent. Better to have a potentially repairable slit in the tent than risking being buried alive in it under tons of snow. They were poorly clothed because they had been sleeping and ran to the safety of the nearby woods where trees would help slow oncoming snow. In the darkness of the night, they got separated into two groups. One group made a fire, hence the burned hands, while the others tried to return to the tent to recover their clothing since the danger had passed. But it was too cold, they all froze to death before they could locate their tents in the darkness. At some point, some of the clothes may have been recovered or swapped from the dead, but at any rate, the group of four whose bodies was most severely damaged were caught in an avalanche and buried under four meters, 13 feet, of snow. Um, Dubonina's tongue was likely removed by scavengers and ordinary predation. Um, evidence contradicting the avalanche theory includes the location of the incident did not have any obvious signs of an avalanche having taken place. An avalanche would have left certain patterns and debris distributed over a wide area. The bodies found within a month of the event were covered with a very shallow layer of snow. And had there been an avalanche of sufficient strength to sweep away the second party, these bodies would have been swept away as well. This would have caused more serious and different injuries in the process and would have damaged the tree line. Over a hundred expeditions to the area uh, were held since the incident, and none of them ever reported conditions that might have created an avalanche. The study of the area using up-to-date terrain-related physics revealed that the location was entirely unlikely for such an avalanche to have occurred. The, quote, dangerous conditions found in another nearby area were observed in April and May when the snowfalls of winter were melting. During February, when the incident occurred, there were no such conditions. An analysis of the terrain and the slope shows that even if there could have been a very specific avalanche that found its way around, its path would have gone past the tent. It had collapsed from the side, but not in a horizontal direction. Um, Dyatlov was an experienced skier, um, and... Uh, Zolotarov was studying for his master's certificate in ski instruction and mountain hiking. Neither of these men would have uh, been likely to camp anywhere on the path of a potential avalanche. 
footprint patterns leading away from the tent were inconsistent with someone, let alone a group of nine people running in panic from either real or imagined danger. All the footprints leading away from the tent and toward the woods were consistent with individuals who were walking at a normal pace. Shit, just so weird. There was a Reddit. What, what, you know, I agree with that as well. Cause like, so they find the three and then they find farther down, like two people. And wasn't like the second group that they found, like there was like debris of like, they tried to start a fire or something. Yeah. And that's what they say. Like the trees around them, the branches were broken. So, and it's not like they were, they were 150 meters from their tent at the time. Mm -hmm that they all died like I mean they're various but like yeah. they're not far and then there's another thing because when they said that the two groups got separated the distance of where kind of like the two groups are they're like mm -hmm. you could have talked to each other without raising your voice they could have heard like they were that close where they could have heard each other um yeah. it just then, doesn't seem like someone trying to run from an avalanche kind of thing yeah um a review of the 1959's investigations evidence completed in 2015 to 2019 by experienced investigators from the Investigative Committee of the Russian Federation, the ICRF, on request of the families, confirmed the avalanche with several important details added. Because they reopened this in 2015 um, right. to do additional mm -hmm. uh, research. First of all, the ICRF investigators, one of them was an experienced alpinist, confirmed that the weather on the night of the tragedy was very harsh with wind speeds up to hurricane force, 20 to 30 meters per second, which is about 45 to 67 miles per hour, um, a snowstorm and temperatures reaching negative 40 degrees Celsius. These factors weren't considered by the 1959 investigators who arrived at the scene of the accident three weeks later, when the weather had much improved and any remains of the snow slide settled down and had been covered with fresh snowfall. The harsh weather in the same time played a critical role in the events of the tragic night, which have been reconstructed as followed. As follows. Um, February 1st, the group arrives at the Kovat Sekula mountain and erects a large nine-person tent on an open slope without any natural barriers such as forests. On the day and a few days preceding, a heavy snowfall continued with strong winds and frost. The group traversing through the slope and digging in the tent into the snow weakens the snow base. During the night, the snowfall or the snowfield above the tent starts to slide down slowly under the weight of the new snow, gradually pushing on the tent fabric starting from the entrance. The group wakes up and starts evacuation in panic with only some able to put on warm clothes. Since the entrance is blocked, the group escapes through a hole cut in the tent fabric, descends the slope to find a place perceived as safe from the avalanche only 100 or 1,500 meters down at the forest border. Due to some of the members having very incomplete clothes, the group splits. Two of the group only in their underwear and pajamas were found at the Siberian pine tree near a fire pit. Their bodies were found first and confirmed to have died of hypothermia. Three hikers, including Dyatlov, attempted to climb back to the tent, possibly to get sleeping bags. They had better clothes than those at the fireplace, but still quite light and their footwear was incomplete. Their bodies were found at various places ranging 300 to 600 meters from the campfire. It poses 
uh, imposes suggesting they fell of exhaustion while trying to climb in deep snow and extremely cold weather. The remaining four, equipped with warm clothes and footwear, were trying to find or build a better camping place in the forest further down the slope. Their bodies were found 70 meters from the campfire under several meters of thick layer of snow and with traumas indicating they fell into a snow hole formed above a stream. Their bodies were the ones found after two months. Um, according to the ICRF investigators, the factors contributing to the tragedy were extremely bad weather and lack, lack of experience of the group leader in such conditions, which led to the selection of a dangerous camping place. Above the snowslide, another mistake of the group was to split up rather than build a temporary camping place down in the forest and try to survive through the night. Negligence of the 1959 investigators contributed to the reports creating more questions than answers and inspiring numerous conspiracy theories. So that wraps up the avalanche theory. Yeah. Whether you want to believe it or not. I don't. I don't believe <laughs> any of this. Um, the next big theory is something called the catabatic wind. Um, not basically snow coming or air coming down the mountain gets really cold and gets really dense and then drives you insane. Uh, in 2019, a Swedish-Russian expedition made to the site, and after investigations, they proposed that a violent catabatic wind is the likely explanation for the incident. Catabatic winds are, are a somewhat rare event and can be extremely violent. They were implicated in a 1978 case at uh, Anaris Mountain in Sweden, where eight hikers were killed and one was seriously injured in the aftermath of catabatic winds. The topography of these locations were noted to be very similar, according to the expedition. Uh, the sudden catabatic wind, which I love that word, um, would have made it impossible. Catabatic uh, would have made it impossible to remain in the tent. And the most rational course of action would be for the hikers to cover the tent with snow and seek shelter among the tree line. There is also a torch left on top of the tent, possibly left there intentionally so the hikers could find their way back to the tent once the wind subsided. The expedition proposed that the group of hikers constructed two temporary shelters, one of which collapsed, leaving four of the hikers buried with the violent injuries observed. The next theory is infrasound. Um, which was popularized by Donnie Iker's 2013 book, Dead Mountain, is that when... In, infrasound? What was that word? I-N-F-R-A-S-O-U-N-D. Infrasound. Uh, mm -hmm. Like infrared, but infrasound. Sound. Um, which, going around that mountain, created a CarMax vortex street, which is a repeating swirling vortex which can produce infrasound capable of inducing panic attacks in humans. According to Iker's theory, the infrasound generated by the wind as it passed over the top of the mountain was responsible for causing physical discomfort and mental distress in the hikers. Iker claims that because of their panics, the hikers were driven to leave the tent by whatever means necessary and fled down the slope. By the time you're infrasounds every day, then, if that's the case. Things that make you go crazy? Yeah. Uh-huh. I was trying to make a joke out of it, and then the Zoom paused, and then it sped up real fast, and I lost my opportunity, but I still wanted to say the joke, so. I'm proud of you. I'm glad you did. <laughs> I'm sure the listeners are, too. <laughs> uh, 
by the time the hikers were found further down the hill, they would have been out of the infrasound path and would have regained their composure, but in the darkness would not be able to return to their shelter. The traumatic injuries suffered by three of the victims were the result of their stumbling over the ledge of a ravine in the darkness and landing on the rocks at the bottom. Mm. My favorite theory, obviously, Aliens. is military tests. Oh, yeah. Um, speculation exists, and honestly, if you want to get crazy conspiracy, this one does make the most sense to me. Speculation exists that the campsite fell within the path of a Soviet parachute mining exercise. This theory alleges that the hikers, woken by loud explosions, fled the tent in a shoeless panic and found themselves unable to return for supply retrieval. After some members froze to death according, or attempting to endure the bombardment, others commandeered their clothing only to be fatally injured by subsequent parachute mine concussions. There are indeed records of parachute mines being tested in the Soviet military in that area around the time of the hikers. Um, parachute mines detonate while still in the air rather than upon striking the Earth's surface and produce signature injuries similar to those experienced by the hikers. Heavy internal damage uh, with comparably less external trauma. The theory coincides with reported sightings of glowing orange orbs orbs floating or falling in the sky within the general vicinity of the hikers and allegedly photographed by them, uh, potentially military aircraft or descending parachute mines. This theory, among others, is scavenging animals to explain Dubonina's injuries. Some speculate the bodies were unnaturally manipulated due to characteristic liver mortis markings discovered during an autopsy as well as burns to hair and skin. Uh, photographs of the tent allegedly show that it was erected incorrectly, something that, hi ex that experienced hikers were unlikely to have done. So I didn't super get into this, but a lot of people think that the hikers were kidnapped by Soviet Russia government and experienced on and then returned back and their bodies were placed to be found like this. Interesting. Um, That's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, and then somebody was like, "Why return the bodies? If yeah. you're gonna do tests, like dump them in a ditch." Yeah. Um, a similar theory alleges the testing of radiological weapons, and this is partly based on the discovery of radioactivity on some of the clothing, as well as the bodies being described by relatives having orange skin and gray hair. However radioactive dispersal would have affected all of the hikers and equipment instead of just some of it and the skin and hair discoloration can be explained by a natural process of mummification after three months of exposure to the cold and winds furthermore the initial suppression of files regarding the group's disappearance by soviet authorities is sometimes mentioned as evidence of a cover-up but the concealment of information regarding domestic incidents was standard procedure in the ussr and therefore far from peculiar. Um, by the late 1980s, all the Die Outlaw files had been released in some manner. Um, so then paradoxical undressing is also a theory, and that's Internal Science Times uh, suggested that the hikers' deaths were caused by hypothermia, which can induce a behavior known as paradoxical undressing, which, 
in which hypothermic subjects remove their clothes in response to perceived feelings of being warm. It is undisputed that six of the nine dikers hide of hypothermia. However, others in the group appear to have acquired additional clothing from those who have already died, which suggests that they were of solid mind to try to add layers. And also, too, doesn't hypothermia kind of make you go crazy? And I, like, think, I think that's like what they're saying. Oh, gotcha. Because that's why some of them didn't have clothes on. But it's, I mean, you will, we'll never know if they took their clothes off or if the people took them after they died. Yeah. Um, so Harley he, is crazy snoring right now. Is he? I, I can hear him <laughs> like through your words with headphones like, in my ears. It's like, it's been so long since we've had kitty sounds on the podcast. I mean, it's also been a long time since we've done the podcast, but yeah, we're not going to talk about that. Um, Keith Mikowski, who has researched the incident for many years and has appeared in several TV documentaries on the subject, traveled to the Dyatlov Pass in 2015 with Yuri, um, the Dyatlov Foundation, and a group. Um, at the pass, he noted there were wide discrepancies in distances quoted between the two possible locations of the snow shelter um, where the four bodies were found. One location was approximately 80 to 100 meters from the pine tree where the bodies of Doroshenko and Kravinchenko were found. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the other mm-hmm. uh, location was so close to the trees that anyone in the snow shelter could have spoken to those who were at the tree without raising their voices to be heard. The second location also has a rock in the stream where Dubonina's body was found uh, and it's more likely the location of the two. However, the second suggested location of the two has a topography that is closer to the photos taken at the time of the search in 1958. The location of the tent near the ridge was found to be too close to the spur of the ridge for any significant buildup of snow to have caused an avalanche. Furthermore, the prevailing wind blowing over the ridge had the effect of blowing snow away from the edge of the ridge onto the side where the tent was. This further reduced any buildup of snow to cause an avalanche. The aspect of the lack of snow at the top and near the ridge of the mountain was pointed out by Sergi Sorian in 2010. Uh, he also noted that um, Lev Ivanov, the detective, uh, his boss, was still alive in 2015 and had given an interview to former uh, Kamevrov prosecutor in which he states that uh, he was arranging another trip to the past to fully investigate the strange deaths of the last four bodies um, when the deputy prosecutor general of Moscow arrived and ordered the case to be shut down. And that's a pretty high up guy to come in and say that something needs to be closed, Mm. Um, which is where a lot of people speculate that Russia had involvement because they're like, why would the deputy prosecutor general show up yeah um at the time of the deaths accusing fingers were initially pointed at the other people living in the region and they were the manzai one of the 45 indigenous peoples living in russia the manzai have survived over the centuries by hunting fishing and reindeer herding um valeri anyamov a rugged man in his 40s works as a forest warden and lives in the settlement of ushma not far from the decaying prison camps. Uh, Valeri's dad, Nikolai, helped to look 
uh, for the missing students, but soon his community became the prime suspects. Soviet investigators were convinced we Manzai must have killed them, Valeri says. So many people around here were arrested and a woman from another village who is no longer with us used to say that the secret police tortured them. I don't know if that's true, but they were certainly interrogated for weeks. Eventually, the Soviet authorities were unable to find any incriminating evidence and flew their helicopters to the Mansai village to ask for help once again. Thanks to our guys, the remaining four skiers were found in May. Under the melted snow, a Manzai hunter discovered fragments of clothing, including part of Luminina's sweater, which eventually led them down to the ravine. Suspicions still linger about the Manzai's possible involvement. One book published in 2015 suggests that some Manzai hunters were high on the magic mushrooms used in shamic rituals, mm. and they went berserk when they found that the students had veered onto sacred Manzai land. Larry dismisses such theories. If any of our people had been involved in that crime, they would have thrown us all into prison because it was a cruel time. In those days, people were executed by firing squads without investigation or trial. Even Russia's first president, Boris Yeltsin, who studied at UPI just a few years before Igor Dyatlov, uh, agreed that there was something very odd about the case. Um, and yet elements in this case are so puzzling and contradictory that even the Soviet authorities weren't sure how to describe what happened. Um, they thought the best way to explain these deaths and decide to blame an insurmountable force of nature. Of course, everyone understands this phrase differently. It could describe a hurricane or a tornado, but not necessarily. Um, the lead investigator, Ivanov was transferred to an obscure town in the Republic of Kazakhstan, and the affair was buried for three decades. He only found the courage to speak out when the Soviet Union began falling apart. In 1990, Ivanov gave an interview to a newspaper in which he admits that he'd been amazed by the results of the autopsy of the students and that he'd received several reports about balls of fire in the sky, but he'd been ordered to classify his findings and forget about them. In the newspaper article, Ivanov apologized to the relatives of the victim for hiding the truth from them. He said he tried his best, but at the time there was a, quote, overwhelming force in the country. After Ivanov's death, Olag got access to the investigator's personal archive and discovered some curious details about the autopsy, including the fact that some of the students' clothing had traces of radiation, the makeshift morgue set up in the town of Ivdel, where the first four bodies were examined, was surrounded by security officers from the KGB rather than the police, and nobody was allowed in. Oleg mentions one more anomaly. A big barrel of alcohol was delivered before the autopsies, which he believes investigators used as a primitive form of protection against radiation. Small containers of alcohol were sometimes used to store fragments of organs. Uh, but this was a very large quantity, and the forensics teams were given clear instructions to wipe themselves all over with the alcohol to rub it on their naked bodies. Such measures were never normally taken in those days. But if the military was testing new weapons and there was a radiation leak, why did it only affect those nine students, and why wasn't the whole area contaminated? Yeah. Oleg points out, that it's a huge area geographically, and few have been uh, aware of fallout in such a remote wilderness. Secondly, at the time of the students' deaths, many animals and birds were found dead, 
and the local people were suddenly banned from using water from wells. They had to bring in water from elsewhere. Valeri, the Manzai forest warden, said that reindeer herders were banned from that area and hunting was not allowed for four years after the incident. Something else makes Oleg suspicious. In the autopsy report, it states that fragments of the internal organs of the first five bodies were sent for chemical analysis. He unearthed a signed document stating that organs had been successfully delivered and were stored in a fridge, but as soon as the, re the results were known, some people came to the laboratory and took the samples away along with the paperwork. Uh, I don't exclude the possibility that the problem fell from the sky, says Oleg, meaning there was an explosion. It's impossible to say whether it was a military rocket, but why did the young people leave their tent in such a hurry and cut their way out? Because they couldn't breathe, perhaps? Maybe they were affected by poisonous rocket fuel. Others believe that the violent injuries they suffered were caused by the Russian Yeti, an ape-like creature that towers yes. above <laughs> Yeti. Um an ape-like creature that towers above the average human. The evidence for this is one blurry photo taken by one of the students of what appears to be a supernaturally tall figure behind a tree. We have that photo. We'll post it on for you guys to see. I mean, you're listening now, so you've probably already seen the photos. Um, but on the other hand, it seems that officials have already made up their mind about what happened. Uh, Alexander Kirinoy spokesperson for the prosecuting general has said that only three probable causes would be investigated all of them connected with extreme weather crime is out of the question he told the press conference in february 2019 there is not a single proof it was either an avalanche a falling slab of hard packed snow or a hurricane back in servilosk uh, tatiana igor dyatlov's younger sister is skeptical of the line being taken by the prosecutor you have seen for yourself what kind of avalanche could there be when their tent was almost intact. A hurricane? Well, maybe, but it's possible to survive a hurricane, she reasons. As for a snow slab which crushed their tent, that doesn't explain the injuries they had. And if it was just an ordinary hike which went wrong because of extreme weather conditions, well, those happen all the time. So why did it worry the highest authorities in the country? I think it means something extraordinary happened. Tatiana did not attend her brother Igor's funeral <coughs> as her parents thought it would be too traumatic for, her, traumatic for her, but I saw a photo of him in the coffin afterwards. It was just terrible. He looked completely different to what he looked like before. My mom said that she only recognized him from the gap between his teeth. His hair was gray. She says that the student's parents believe that the deaths were somehow related to the military. What went on up there is hard to say, the families were told. You will never know the truth, so stop asking questions. So what could we do? Don't forget, in those days, if they told you to shut up, you would be silent. Oh. And that's the Dyatlov Pass incident. There's also a really Damn. terrible movie on Netflix called Devil's Pass, if you guys want to watch it. It's about this. It was actually filmed in Russia. I watched mm. it. And I was like, damn, these actors are like actually really hiking through some snow. And I was like, there's no way they went to Russia. And they did. Oh, shit. Yeah. Devil's Pass yeah. on Netflix. That's Devil's God. Pass on Netflix. I won't Yeah. I mean, I want it to be Aliens or the Yeti, but it's most likely military cover up. I which is like third best option. I know. 
And also the orange orbs, whether they're, uh, there's also a theory that the orange orbs in the sky were flare guns. Mm-hmm. Because there's one explanation that was like, it was a big ball in the front and then there was a long sparkling tail in the back, which sounds like a flare okay. gun. But I also wish the aliens. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely aliens coming. Of course it's aliens. Um... I'm not yeah, gonna I know it's like one of those things like yeah. I feel like like a hundred years ago there was this thing and yeah that was totally us. There was an ask Reddit thread, which I think maybe I saved. Because if you're a Reddit person, you should subscribe to Unsolved Mysteries. Um but they had a a thread and they were like if you could have the answer to one unsolved mystery what would it be so i saved that thread because i was like Ooh. all these are dope yeah so now we're just gonna have conspiracy theories for me for the rest of this podcast because if there's one thing i love is not knowing the truth and getting to make up what the truth is for myself unsolved mysteries are so hard but dude that new show is so dope I know. And maybe dad's listening to this episode, but he called me and he was like, have you watched this unsolved mystery show on Netflix? And I was like, yeah, of course. And he was like, it's so frustrating there. You know, you watch for an hour and then at the end they just go, well, we don't know. And I was like, yeah, dad, it's called unsolved Unsolved mysteries. (laughs) It's not unsolved mysteries that we solved. (laughs) Unsolved mysteries. Psych. We found the answers. <laughs> Have you finished all of them? Yeah. I really want to know where that French guy went. Dude, I am still, and I think the one. Um, I won't spoil it for people. Although, if you're listening to this and you haven't watched it yet, get it together. But that very first episode with the guy that falls through the roof. That, Blew my mind, and I think they're actually reopening that. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, because I think they did hear that too, because of the show. Everybody's it just like, doesn't fuck? make. I know when we were watching that, I was watching it with my roommate, and I was like, "I really, I need to see crime scene photos." And he was like, "Why would you want to see that?" And I was like, "Because how his body is will tell me so everything much. I need to know." Yeah. It's either going to be properly placed, which is inaccurate to the fall, mm-hmm. or it needs to be a ballooned yeah. water balloon of mm-hmm. organs. <laughs> also, the one with the mom and the daughter makes me furious. I just get so mad when women like choose their shitty ass boyfriends or husbands over their own children. I know. It just, and I don't know if it's because, like, I really just, my goal in life is to be an amazing mom. <laughs> but I'm just like, you're not doing your job. If you do that, I'm not going to everybody mothers differently, but you're doing it way wrong. You are doing it way wrong. <laughs> I don't even want to be a mother, and I can tell you're doing it wrong. <laughs> Billy Bob is an alcoholic piece of shit send him packing and give your daughter a hug you're gonna be so much better without him Susie. 
Um, I'm trying to think of what else we can discuss at the end. What other fun? Did you watch Criminal yet on Netflix with David Tennant? Oh, shit. No. Well, there's only like in true BBC form. There's four only like episodes. four or five episodes. I don't even think there's that much. Maybe it's one, two, three. Maybe there's only four. And then it started going, and I was like, wait a minute. This is dubbed. And then it was Criminal Spain. Um, but because of that, I'm getting all of these recommended for you, and it's all these like uh, dubbed in English crime shows from different countries. And Dude. There's some good ones. I'm I'm watching Signs right now. Signs? So far, M Night Shyamalan uh, Signs. No, it's uh, I don't know what country it's originally from, uh-huh. but so far they've arrested a priest for putting ecstasy in the holy water to make his my kind of church service. You will see that <laughs> to make his patrons, you know, like feel like oh like i have to keep going to church because like i feel i feel the power thing yeah mm-hmm. yeah, yeah yeah um dark on netflix is also amazing and fantastic yeah. i've heard that I, that's on my list oh my god the third season was so good <laughs> and now it's that's that's german right yeah but it's they dubbed it over they do polish over. that's what science science is polish there you go. I do feel like I can't watch, and that's probably just a part of our job. I can't watch the overdubbed ones. I have to watch them in the original language and then just read the subtitles. Ooh. It's too off putting to when their mouths don't match. That's <laughs> I'm hearing. That's true. <laughs> I mean, I always have the uh, captions on anyway even if it's an English show. But, um, so maybe I just haven't noticed that issue. And if I were to just sit and listen, I'd be like, I can't take this. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, uh, I am freaking tired. It's only 11.33 in the morning. I'm taking that. Got nothing but time. That's true. I want to play this game. This is totally off of <laughs> Twisted Sister thing you heard this? podcast for all of our listeners have you heard of this thing this game now? called fall guys oh no i've heard of fallout so i heard about them because the game got so popular so fast that their servers couldn't handle it but you're just these yeah. little tiny funny looking creatures and it's like you get put into a game and it could be up to 60 people like online playing with you. And it's basically you just take these funny looking creatures and you basically run like a wipeout type course. And you just have to be the last one standing. All guys ultimate knockout. They look adorable. Yes. And I, it's only nineteen ninety nine on the PlayStation store. But I have not gotten it. But just watch the gameplay and there's one guy that was he was like British. <laughs> and he keeps getting knocked off. And like, but like knocked off to where he doesn't like fall and has to like kind of start over, but just he has to like keep going around this corner. He's like, no, screw you. Oh, you guys are horrible. <laughs> There's another game like that. I don't know what it's called, but it always comes up on like Reddit clips of people uh-huh. playing. 
And it sounds similar. You're like driving cars along this track that like, and if you fall off, I think you become like a sniper or something and you can shoot rockets and then you're trying to like get the cars off. And then one guy is driving because it was in the no, 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 yes, Reddit sub. Mm -hmm. And he's driving on this course and this car hits him and he like almost veers off and his car like spins around and his back of his truck like hits the other car and knocks that car off. And so like he almost dies and you can hear his audio and he's like screaming and then he gets hit by a rocket and the rocket like sends him flipping off the track, but then he lands on the track at the finish line. And he's losing his mind. I love watching people play video games like that. Um, well, we're we'll wrapping up because now we're getting super off topic. Yeah. Now, now we're in a totally different game. Yeah. Or, or set of minds. That's our Twisted Sisters Gaming Podcast. Yeah. Uh, side note. Um, well, yeah. I mean, I ain't got nothing else to say to you. I ain't got nothing else to say to you either. Other than you had a lot of things to say to me. That one's you made fourteen was... pages go by pretty quickly though. I will Thank say. Thank you. I tried to yeah. work through it. Um apologies again for my lack of Russian uh pronunciation. Guys, we're not experts. We're people uh-huh. waiting to go back to work. We're the Florida of the you world, guys. Don't expect. I get ex- I get excited for laundry day now because it means that my four po- pairs of biker shorts are gonna put back in rotation. <laughs> no, I'm <laughs> not even joking. I do I do laundry early now because I'm just like, dude, I'm out of biker shorts. I get a stock market email now just because what else? I'm so bored reading. Get into it. it. So I got one, and they were saying that. Uh, Levi jeans stocks they lost like 24 million dollars this quarter and they were like yeah because when was the last time jeans touched your waist yeah I put on jeans the other day I think or I think it was when I went to the dentist and I was like I mean it's the only reason to like actually put clothes on I know and then like I immediately regretted wearing them as soon as I like sat down in my car and I was like these don't flex at all I know worst all right well i even i even changed my bitmoji to be wearing biker shorts pretty much the outfit that i'm wearing (laughs) paused zoom is fun because occasionally i sister we love you mom and dad what love you i was singing so i wasn't listening to you why not because my zoom froze so i couldn't hear you and then you came back in and you were just Singing your tunes. Singing my tunes like a dude. Singing your tunes like a dude. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. <laughs>